the, the, the whole concept behind is that we want to make sure that we tap into things that every woman think about, but not necessarily express it. They don't sometimes speak out about those things. Welcome to Creators at Work. I'm Katie Kuffel, one of the makers behind this show, and I'm joined by Brett Novak, Liquid and Grits founder and CEO. This episode was recorded back in February of 2020. On this episode, Brett sits down with Gonzalo Fasanella, the chief marketing officer of Tactile Games, to chat about his unique approach to advertising and how Tactile's flexible company structure allows for effective and engaging ads that led to highly successful games like Lily's Garden. What does the act of creating standout ads look like? Moving new or risky ideas through a team is necessary when creating something innovative, but that process can sometimes become contentious. So how is the method behind ads like those for Lily's Garden structured to keep things moving? I mean, if we start with the, yeah, indeed, as you say, it's, it's all about being able to have a good team and have been able to uh, give the level of autonomy that they need to have in order to be able to be creative and type up into these things. But in general, there are many things that come to the strategy and the planning itself that we have internally. Everything starts from, uh, I think that there are more companies now realizing that the old ways of doing performance marketing is coming obsolete. So in general, when all this started, you had a lot of analytic people and most of the companies were trying to find analytic people that were creative at the same time. Creative, not in the, in the analytic way, but creative in terms of being able to to uh, judge ads, being able to improve the ads, iterate on, on them, work on concepts and things like that. So I've been working for quite a while in the industry and I know that it's really, really hard to find those profiles where you have someone that is very analytical, but at the same time have a, a sense of style and a sense of what an ad should be, how an ad should flow, etc. What ended up happening every time was that you had a, a performance marketing manager and a creative guy talking. And since the creative team was all the time inserted in the in the performance marketing team, the the person with more analytical skills always had uh, more leverage in regards to the discussions for uh, what ad to do, what is working, what is not working, what do we have to test, what we don't have to. It's just the way they interact with each other. I mean, it it always ended up uh, the creative guys shining away and trying to do whatever the performance marketing was telling them to do because they were data driven in a data driven industry. It's just the way things generally works. The problem about this is that in, in general, you end up with a creative team that is really demotivated because they don't have any actual input on the things that they want to do or the ways that they would like to market the game. And they ended up doing all the time iterations on the same things and exploring very limited concepts because even though I believe that performance marketing people more and more it takes uh, ownership to the different areas in the mobile marketing, the creative part uh, is probably not the strongest suit for them. So we started by splitting the team. So in the in, in here at Tactile under marketing, we have three major teams, which is the performance marketing that includes also uh, data scientists and uh, backend developers to develop tools that we use in order to buy efficiently. Then we have social marketing, which is social media, communities, and, and that sort of activities. And then we have creative marketing, creative 
marketing is a, a autonomy unit that creates all the ads that we use out there from, from uh, the videos that you know and you're speaking about to all the interstitials. And we even have an, an in-house HTML5 programmer that work in the creative marketing teams. Also, the thing about it is that you create a lot of, uh, you, you would talk with many developers out there and I will always be proud about the amount of ads they put out there uh, every week. And it's not that we don't recognize the importance of having a lot of ads being tested and things like that. But in general, you would have 80% of the ads will fall in the same category of uh, just a normal ad in terms of KPIs. And very, a very small percentage of ads will actually drive a lot of difference. So the point of, of the old system of trying to iterate on and on and on on different ads comes obsolete when in the end you always are looking for those outliers that will give you that edge uh, versus the competition, right? So if you're all the time iterating the same thing, it's unlikely that you're going to get that. So the move of having the team independently was to be able to explore more concepts, be more flexible in the way of how do we switch the strategy? How do we plan what we do? So we put a place, a process to make sure that we actually have something that enables communication between performance marketeers and creative guys. But instead of trying to have the creative guys understanding KPIs or things like IPM, CPI, CPM, ECPM, and things like those that they're honestly not interested in knowing, we try to turn all those KPIs in simple concepts. So understanding what concepts of ads are working the best in each one of the channels that we work with to make sure that they align every one of their sprints to be able to uh, deliver the, the concepts that we need uh, every week. So within that uh, framework, they understand what type of ads are needed depending on the, on the needs of each one of the networks we work with, and they go ahead and independently plan their sprint. And that enables the creative marketing lead, uh, which is a person here, to make sure that everybody's motivated in the team, that you know they, they tend to like to do the story-driven ads. We do many other concepts, but uh, most of the guys working in the ad creative team wants to do these story-driven ads because they are just more fun to do. He makes sure that all of them are doing a little bit of everything and, uh, and they put out all those ads that are working in different networks. Uh, so that keeps the morale up, uh, the production pace really fast. And those ads that you see out there, it only takes us about four or five working days, with just one person to have them done with music and from, from storyboarding to a concept to, uh, to the actual production of the animations and the actual the edit of the video itself. And that's only possible because they own the whole process and the whole idea. That doesn't happen if they are all the time answering to the needs of, the, of what the performance marketing people think they need. I think that's one of the key elements. And then it comes to the strategy itself of what we want to do in each one of these concepts that we work. In general, we don't want to do these ads that lack a flow. Even if this is not story-driven ad, we want all our ads to have a professional flow and to feel that the quality, that we can reflect the quality of our game in the, in the ads. That's something that the industry that generally doesn't happen that much. But we want to be faithful to, to the game uh, in regards to the quality that we put out there. Each one of the concepts we have have a, a strategy as a whole is to be able to have a lot of concepts as well, because even though the story-driven ads work really well for us, in mobile, everything changes and everything is very fast and people get that amount of attention that you will have is really limited. So if you are all the time doing the same thing, people will get just bored. They will not go ahead and try your game. 
So you need to be able to have different concepts and look for new concepts. So we have kind of sort of a strategy for each one of them, but that we can reflect the quality of our game in the, in the ads. That's something that the industry that generally doesn't happen that much, but we want to be faithful to, to the game uh, in regards to the quality that we put out there. Each one of the concepts we have have a, a strategy as a whole is to be able to have a lot of concepts as well because even though the story-driven ads work really well for us, in mobile everything changes and everything is very fast and people get that amount of attention that you will have is really limited. So if you are all the time doing the same thing, people will get just bored. They will not go ahead and try your game. So you need to be able to have different concepts and look for new concepts. So we have kind of sort of a strategy for each one of them. but particularly of the one that you want to talk about, which are these story-driven ads. The, the, the whole concept behind is that we want to make sure that we tap into things that every woman think about, but not necessarily express it. They don't sometimes speak out about those things. I honestly don't feel those ads to be that controversial. I think that we have done others that maybe were a little more controversial, or, you know, or I think that even, you know, other companies are, just plain misleading uh, people with their ads. These controversial ones are just trying to tap into, into the minds of the demographic that we work for. Uh, we have conducted many focus groups to be able to understand what are their interests, what is that they like, uh, what is that they think when, when these things happen. So things like, you know, I'm a father myself and I have a baby and I have been through the struggles of, of, of trying to understand how to become a parent and everybody have had lack of sleep or trying to understand if you give sugar or not to your to your kid uh, and these are all things that happen on daily basis and um, many people don't talk about and the pregnancy is, is just a good example of that i mean i went through so many uh fears when 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 i realized that when i when when we had our baby and that you you just don't speak about you know i'm i'm not part of the demographic but i can also see that and that pregnancy ad was about that uh, is quite a big responsibility for a, for a couple to have a children and for a woman is like a completely different story much more uh, life changing that than uh, the, the way they take it in general is uh, very complex it's a it's a complex subject and the fact of, of the risk of having to raise the kid yourself is something that I, I am sure that everybody thinks about. So we just wanted to tap into that. It's like what would happen and then give it a twist as well because we do believe here at Tactile of empowering women and all that. And the last part of the ad was to make Lily actually to trick this guy that if you play the game, you realize that Lane is not someone that you want to be with. So uh, the follow-up of the ad was that yeah, Lily ends up tricking him and she was actually not pregnant. She just wanted to get rid of the guy. And that's basically it. We also believe that, you know, in the old days, advertising was a lot about you could, because the lack of social media and internet in general and the lack of information, you could make a product be perfect. You could brand things as the best thing in the world. And today it doesn't work that way anymore for anybody. I mean, you don't control the narrative anymore. People control the narrative. So we thought, if you just can't control the narrative, why are you going to try to do that? It's, it's better if we give something for people to debate. And, uh, and it's fine if they just go into a, a debate on the stuff that we do as well. It's, I mean, there will be people against, people pro, what we are showing there. But 
we honestly don't want to make a stand on anything. I mean, we are just trying to tap into things that we feel that can, you know, uh, trigger those uh, emotions in people that can make them, you know, feel that they want to play our game, which is a story-driven game. I mean, it's, it's honestly like that. Lily's Garden is about the story. It's a tapper, it's a blast game, but the story is what drives the game forward. And uh, we develop for the story is... Maybe I'm sure that you have played the game a lot and uh, and you will see that there are characters, generally in the industry, the characters that come into these story-driven uh, games is they serve a live up purpose, right? They come a week, they tell you something, and then you play the feature that that, uh, that character is, is hosting. And that's basically, there is nothing else. In this garden, you get into it, every character is relatable. They have day-to-day -day problems as anybody else. And if we feel that we have to develop a character which is very, very expensive to do and it will be in the story for just about a month, we, will, we just go ahead and do it because we believe that what we do is mobile game series. That's the way we perceive it. And, and that's what we want to do with the ads, give the perception of this changing story, ever-changing story that, that even though you can play it for many years, will always be evolving the characters, will always be changing, and new characters will be entering into the, the story. So that's also helped us a lot to have a lot of uh, creative freedom, you know, the, the fact that the, the game is it's real story-driven, so we can create our own stories as well in marketing to try to reflect that uh, from the game. Gonzalo mentioned a three-team structure, social, performance, and creative teams. What percentage of the ads are from the creative marketing team? Do they have to run it by any of the other teams? Not even that. They don't even know what the ad is going to be until the ad is finished. In general, I, I, I mean, I don't even see all the ads while they're breathing. I mean, I, I know that I'm in the beginning of the process because the way we do it is that we have a very lean, I mean, depending on who you ask to, to I mean, it's really lean for sure. People would say that we're not structured. I feel that we're really structured, actually. So we don't have meetings or things like that or brainstorming meetings, we use our, I mean, all the other teams have daily stand-ups that they are very structured and very fast-paced, but the creative team is different. We sit down in the morning, I do all my, all my daily meetings that with other teams, that's really, really fast. We get them done in, in 10 minutes, um, and they all have to speak about what they're doing today, what they do tomorrow, and they have any any curse, and that's it, as, as if any other company right in Agile, but... In creative marketing, it's different. We sit down, first of all, in couches that we have here at the office, and everybody starts talking about what they're working today and uh, what are they thinking about, what they're going to do next, if they had an idea, and the conversation can go on. We could even talk about something that is not work-related. So in those uh, weekly, uh, daily meetings that we have in the morning, we, we talk about what we're doing and what we're going to do. And I would say that 90% of the times the idea comes out of that, those daily. And then they go to storyboard on all of the ideas that we have discussed. They storyboard the ones they like, and they share it with all the team, and they iterate on the storyboard, and they go and produce. So it's a matter of... Uh, minutes or hours and then they are working on the idea after the storyboard but there's no approval process or anything like that of course there are certain things that we take care of uh, and i have input uh, but i tend to try not to mess that much with that freedom they have because i think that's the key element of 
of what they do. Getting in the mind of the audience is key. What role do focus groups play in creating effective marketing products? In, the, in general, the focus groups, well, we need to have something that we are searching for, right? I mean, it could be subjects, particular subjects that we want to talk about. It could be about uh, having a look of what the competitors are doing. But in, in, in general, what we try to do is to get a feel of how do they react to the ads that we put out there. Tapping into the, the minds is actually, we, in general, we bring a sociologist. I am lucky that my wife is one and I have had a lot of uh, experience in research. So she helps me a lot on conducting these ones. What we, what we do is that the process in general, it changes depending on the moment and what we're looking for. Because sometimes we're looking for concepts, sometimes we're looking to see if the ads that we're doing uh, make sense, etc. But it starts with a, with a general round of questions. So people just get eased into the process of what we're doing. We explain what, what do we do. And then we talk about their routines, what they do, what they think about, general things like that. And then... We generally go to show them different type of concepts that we do. Once we finish, they have to watch the ad in the in device in the devices. We don't watch, we don't display this in the in the TV or anything like that because we want to have the real experience. Something that we ask even beforehand is that if they have the the, the phone all the time with audio or without. So if it is if they say without, we don't provide the headsets. If it is with, we provide headsets. So we try to be super in line with the experience that. They, they have when they see the ad and then they watch the ad and then we just uh, talk about it and uh, what they felt about it, if, what type of emotion triggered, etc, etc, etc. And then we find out what are the concepts that are more interesting, the ones that they react the most, they bring more emotions and uh, we, we go for those. Are focus groups a primary tool? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that we do regularly, right? In general, we do it... If, if we have a new game that's completely different, so we are trying to find out the best angle, or it, sometimes we just do it because we feel that we need a little more ideas and we need to we I mean, what, the main problem that we always have is that we don't have someone creating the videos from the demographic, to be honest with you. I would love to be able to have that, but we just haven't had the luck to find. So it's, it's tough for us to sometimes find those subjects that are actually what the strategy is about. So we sometimes sideline and uh, we go off track with what we're doing and, uh, and maybe we need to uh, remember the demographic and, and try to understand them better. So then we run a few more of those. It's more the team, the ones that, 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 that says when they need one of those. In general, I would always want to do one, one of those once in a while, but we do it when the team thinks that, that they need them. What role does virality play in the process? Does it change the approach? And is there a way to guarantee something goes viral? No, I mean, that's another thing that we think that we can control. We can control the narrative, but we cannot control virality. I mean, there's many, I'm sure that you know this, there are many, many people that try to do features in games that spark virality. That just doesn't happen like that. Virality happens because it happens and just, I mean, to be honest, when we started to do these ads, um, we didn't do it thinking that we we were going to go viral. I don't think that's scalable, to be honest. So... They, that just happened. And then we start to have fun with it. I mean, and that was uh, out of the, the team wanted to respond to those things. So, so 
So sometimes if you see other videos that they do, they put little Easter eggs. We try to respond and, and have fun with those uh, with those YouTubers and things like that. But that's just the the the, the team having fun. I mean, we, we're not looking for anything out of that. It's just we're just having fun. Is there a shift happening in the UA market for gaming? Is it becoming more brand development focused? I would say that the quality of the ads that are put out there is improving and the production quality of the ads in mobile is improving. Although it's hard for me to say that that tends to be a one-on-one result. Like if you have better quality in your ads, you're going to have better KPIs. I wouldn't stand behind that, to be honest. I would say that as a company, you want to have good quality and, and it's more a long-term investment. And once you just, you already have your, your core audience and you are well-known out there, and it's something that you build a reputation. So sure, you have to go for that, but maybe not for the sake of the short-term KPIs, particularly if you're a startup. In terms of going all in branding, I don't know. I don't see signs that that is actually the case. That doesn't mean that you don't have to take care of the brand when you're doing this. Again, that's a lot. That's the discussion between short-term wins or long-term strategies. And we try to keep everything under a long-term strategy here as well. So you need to keep everything in mind when you do it. But it's, it's hard to say that, yes, that things are going on that direction. What else is key in understanding this particular process? I mean, one of the things that also is very key for us is to be able to be efficient in what we, what we do. So I strongly believe that there are two sides, right? Because in the beginning of the industry, you, you wanted to find those people that could do the analytic parts and the creative part at the same time. And I, I just believe that tough to get. So I think that the main challenge is to be able to, to have a good creative team and have a good performance marketing team that communicates efficiently. And one of the things that are really key from the get-go, I mean, maybe if you're not, maybe not if you're an early startup, but if you start having some success, I think that uh, you have to invest in the team beyond what is the operational work of what a user acquisition manager and that's, I mean, you need to have a team where you can have data scientists and that you can have backend programmers that can build tools for you to understand what you're doing because there are a lot of third party right now and, and it's fine and you have to work with third party in many things, but nothing will compare with knowing what you're doing from, from, the, from the very source, right? So here at Tactile, we develop a system that uh, we humbly call super bidding which is a, a system that tries to uh, ease the work of the UA people as much as possible. So it's a, basically it's a system that bid by itself, depending on the on different dimensions, etc. So uh, we can focus on the important thing of what is ahead instead of having to do a lot of manual work. So I think that investing in technology uh, for the UA teams is really important. And in many, many companies, they try to restructure this in different ways. And sometimes marketing doesn't get to use, utilize these people. And uh, I think that it's really important that the whole team start understanding uh, all, the, all the angles of the, of the business. And I strongly believe that automation will grow more and more. And uh, that's certainly trying to find the way of Involving data scientists more and more in the actual business decisions, you know, uh, which is really tough, but I think that it's, it's, it's what you have to do. They have to 
not only read data and try to uh, understand what what's going on, but actually uh, understand the business itself and uh, how the ad networks work, how programmatic work, how uh, Facebook adwords and all those in order to actually be able to produce tools and things that can give you an edge. And that's the toughest part to have everybody in the same page and everybody involved in the same level, regardless if your job is about optimizing bits or your job is about understanding how to tweak the system to be able to improve uh, your your edge in an auction or whatever. There's risk inherent in creating anything new and innovative. How does one deal with mistakes when they inevitably happen? Totally. And, uh, you know, and the, the, the toughest part is to accept that mistakes will happen in the, in the process that maybe you with your experience say that, uh, why did we do that? And uh, blah, blah, blah. And you have to understand that that's uh, the consequence as well and accept that that will happen, but they will grow from there. And then the payout is much bigger than the prevent them from making mistakes. Very time consuming and sometimes mistake, mistakes have to happen. It sounds like the speed at which a team can act makes up more value than the mistakes would initially cost. Yeah, in these days, I mean, if you can't go go fast and uh, lean and iterate, it's uh, really, really, really tough. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And thanks so much to our guest, Gonzalo, for sharing his experiences and his knowledge with us. We hope you enjoyed the show and we can't wait to share more episodes just like this one with you. So until next time, here's Gonzalo to close this out. I'm passionate about that and being able to, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's the best part of it. When, when actually you see everybody growing and everybody owning it and then, you know, you become more and more useless maybe. But um, but I think that's the key, right? To try to to make sure that they have fun and they they are passionate about what they do, and then things start working. 